Did you ever wonder how some of the greatest people today become who they are? Most everyone has experienced that turning point in their life. It's these moments that forever changed who they were into whom they've become. Today on The Moment with Chris Epting, you'll hear from these people and hopefully be inspired to find your own life-changing moment. Now, here is your host, Chris Epting. Hey there, I'm Chris Epting, and thank you again for joining me as we do each Thursday morning here to talk about uh, moments, moments in people's lives that matter. I want to first thank everybody for all the great feedback about last week's show with Doobie brother Tom Johnston. want to let you know that in the next couple of weeks, I'm also going to have on the other Doobie brother, other founding member, Pat Simmons, to talk about moments in his life. want to remind you that uh, in terms of a moment for me, my new book coming out, a memoir co-written with Leif Garrett called Idle Truth, is now available on Amazon.com for pre-order comes out in July so you might want to check that out but I don't want to take too much time we have a really special guest today and somebody who's uh, just one of those sort of pop culture icons that is is made her way into all of our heads and hearts and minds over the years we all many of us became familiar with Loretta Swit back in the 1970s on the show MASH of course Loretta uh, along with Alan Alda one of only two actors to have been in both the pilot episode and the finale of the show Finale, I think, is still, if I'm not mistaken, the most watched TV event in history. Loretta appeared in all but 11 of the 256 episodes, received two Emmy Awards. But again, beyond all the accolades, just became part of culture and became part of our lives. Um, as we're going to talk about with Loretta, she's also done remarkable work in terms of, uh, on behalf of animal rights, lots of philanthropy. She's written a wonderful book. We're going to get to all of it. So without any further ado, Loretta, are you there? I am here. I think I'm just going to let you keep talking. It sounds okay. wonderful. I could, you know what? I could because you're one of those people that the more you, when you really stop and think about it, Loretta, you were just, uh, you know, back in an era where, where television was still, you know, it still mattered on a cultural level, you know, before things became so fragmented, you just, uh, yeah. you, you became, you know, part of everyone's world in a, in a wonderful way. And it still resonates today. I mean, it's still, I think when I mentioned your name to people that I was going to be chatting with you, everybody just lit up, you know, and, and I think that's just a, that's a testament to the work that you did and, and how people accepted you into their homes for so many years. Uh, I, I agree. First of all, I want to <clears throat> commend you for pronouncing the word, the, the word E-R-A correctly. It is ERA, and you pronounced it beautifully, and so <laughs> seldom do I hear that. And, I don't, and I'm not one to say, no, that's not the way you say it, and correct people. <laughs> but it's ERA, not ERA. You, know? uh, you are <laughs> anyway, right. Thank you for um, noticing that. Um, you know, I forgive me. I'm a, uh, a grammar queen. I I'm the just same way. Really no, I get on I people's love, nerves. I'm I love the exact our language. I, I love language, and we should respect language and present it as properly I as love, we can. I love our English language. I love yes. I love English and grammar and uh, word kings like uh, you know um, uh, Frank Bruni, who writes for the New York Times. I treasure every drop he, every word i mean he is so brilliant and uh, his choice of words the way the way uh, a word of his can give you a picture in your mind immediately and it's so significant so anyway i i i do love that so it, it's kind of an interesting thing to know about me that a lot of people don't know so there you have it 
Well, I appreciate you flagging that. I, like I said, I'm the same way, and I, I like you more already, and I'm already a pretty big fan. So. <laughs> well, when you think back before before the world got to know you, you know, growing up on the East Coast, you know, coming out of school, what was an early moment for you that sort of altered your course and eventually led to to where you did end up? Is there something that jumps out at you um, early in the game that uh, that shaped you or, or well, resonates today with you? Yeah, here, here's the thing. Nothing ever altered my course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first thought probably I had in my head was that I was out there entertaining. I was out there communicating, however mm-hmm. we want to call it, before it became uh, the theater in my mind, in my young mind. Um, I was from from the get-go in dance dance classes, you know, Mm -hmm. a little kid dancing school, um, doing the five positions in ballet and learning how to (laughs) stand on my toes and so forth, Uh, singing. I came from a neighborhood where uh, religion was prevalent and and singing was praying twice. So I was already singing in the choir and I Mm -hmm. loved singing. So I loved every aspect of communicating and uh, getting on stage, telling a story or whatever. So none of that was altered, although Mm -hmm. you're asking me for like specific moments of of, uh, implosion or explosion. I can give (laughs) you those and some of them are funny, but the, the path never altered. I entered high school. I was directing plays, acting in plays. Uh, the, the usual, you know, most talented, I'd win sure. awards for this or that. I was teaching, I was teaching kids to dance. I was, you know, so um, I was a cheerleader. I was a majorette. Everything was out there in the public, in your face. Uh, I'm a people person. And so, um, so that went on and on, got stronger and uh, more serious, obviously. And uh, so I think... Uh, a big moment, which in, in a way was altering because it required that I left my home, my parents, my family mm-hmm. in New Jersey. Nobody <laughs> in my neighborhood ever did that. I mean, you stayed there, you got married, you lived very close by and you had babies and your parents were thrilled because they had grandchildren. And, you know, there, there were certain things uh, that were outlined that, we were sure. supposed to follow. So um, if anything got altered, it was somebody else's plan for me. It was not my plan. But um, I did the altering with the move, which was um, bittersweet. You know, I, I loved my folks, and uh, they truly did not understand, especially my mother, did not understand what she had brought up what she had raised this creature who wants to go to New York, study drama and become an actor. So, um, but that was a very big moment. I can, I remember, uh, by association, I can, I can smell the living room and standing by the door and getting ready to leave. And my mother flinging herself across the door. Oh my God. Don't do this. <laughs> oh no. It's, it's, it's to laugh at. It's it's charming and funny. Um, she meant well. They were terrified for what could happen to me and, quote, the big city, you know, filled with crime and who knows sure, what. Sure, sure. Uh, but the, the thing is, um, uh, 
that was okay. And, and I was able to, um, to deal with the guilt <laughs> that followed. You're killing me, said she, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, uh, as I, <laughs> I see, I, I can really enjoy that and laugh at it because it's touching and funny and dear. And um, I, uh, I appreciate, as I got older, I appreciated their concern and, and, uh, uh, they didn't mean or want to hold me back from my dream. They were just afraid of it, and they couldn't relate to it. And that's okay. You know, it's really okay. And I, I have a theory that if things come to you too easily, you don't get to appreciate them quite as deeply as I do. I worked very hard to get going, very hard to, uh, in class, I worked very hard to learn a craft and, and go out there and try to get jobs as an actor, et cetera, and so forth. And I think as a result, I, I treasure every success, every minute of, of my being accepted and, and being successful has a, a huge, deeper meaning for me because I worked hard for it. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I think what's interesting about that is when you look at your career, it, it really is self-made. You weren't born in California. You really did this. It's an organic, you know, blue, almost blue collar kind of really applying yourself to what you wanted to oh, do. Oh, for sure. <laughs> With well, no shortcuts, sure, and I think that maybe no collar, <laughs> maybe walking in knee. <laughs> but it really that's that's a sweeter that's a sweeter victory. Shoes. I think you know the fact that you you've uh, done what you've done and had the kind of career that you've had. I think it really is a testament to to hard work. And again, in 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 an era to go back to that word where things weren't as easy for women, where you were up against more things at that point uh, in time than, than uh-huh. other people, right? Mm-hmm. And and so you were, you know, again, it was the the challenges. You know, were there. There were there were higher hurdles, and yet you you stuck with it. You know, yes. um, uh huh, uh huh. What about I, coming uh, to California? I, I Why don't you talk to us about that? How did I get there? Okay, um, my first big job, um, so to speak, was a um, tour of Mame, in which I played Agnes Gooch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was uh, a fabulous tour. And um, when I came back from the tour, they organized, the producer or, uh, producers organized a, um, um, a run in Las Vegas at Caesar's Palace. And in those days, you uh, did a cut version, they called it a tab version of a Broadway play, musical usually, mm-hmm. and you did two shows a day. And we were there wow. for six months, I think. Uh, it, was, it was glorious. I was, I was really in my element, just working, working, working. I loved it. But there I was in Las Vegas, Nevada, not so far from California. And I had a dear friend who lived there, and I had done a play with her. And she said, geez, you know, when you're finished, can't you come here and relax a little bit, take a little time off? And who knows? You might meet somebody in California, maybe get an agent out here as well, or what have you. And I said, sure, why not? And that's, of course, what happened. I um, was, I was, quote, discovered. No, no. Um, I had, um, in those days, you carried around a big portfolio with pictures of you doing different jobs, doing different roles. 
And I um, went up to CBS and the casting director who turned into one of my very dear friends, um, Pam Polifroni, who's like notoriously known for being a great casting director, did most of all the CBS shows. Mm-hmm. And, um, and she, uh, she was looking through my book and she said, I know you. And I said, no, you don't know me. I'm from the East Coast. I'm nobody, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and she said, wait a minute. I know how I know you. And she looked at the picture of my playing Gooch with Susan Hayward in uh-huh. Caesar's Palace. She said an agent had been in her office raving about my performance. He had gone to Seasons to see Susan, and instead he kind of discovered me. And <clears throat> she said, while you're here in uh, California, you really should call him because he, he idolizes you. So I did, and he, he said, let's have lunch. He said, I'm, I'm with a big office, and they don't know your work, so I can't say we'll sign you, but I will, while you're here in California, I will cover your, your, what I, I will cover as many things as I do. And one of his uh, properties was CBS. He did CBS, Paramount, um, oh, I forget now, um, maybe Goldwyn. Uh, but, but anyway, <clears throat> it was limited to just a few uh, studios and um, companies. And he said, and we laughed about this for years afterwards, he said, maybe we'll get lucky. I'll send you out and uh, we'll see what happens. And um, <clears throat> uh, my first job was the lead on a gun smoke, which at that point in time was uh, very, very very popular, well-respected, well-written, sure. well-directed. It was a good show, and I had an amazing part, a lead, a beautiful. <clears throat> so um, uh, that began my, uh, my stint, if you will, in Hollywood. And while I was shooting Gunsmoke, I was um, sent over to Paramount to meet uh, with the uh, casting director there for Mannix, which was also mm-hmm. highly respected, big, big numbers. Um, uh, Mike Connors, wonderful star. Great turned show. To another dear friend. And um, I was booked to do the Mannix before I finished Gunsmoke. And the same thing happened uh, afterwards. Uh, I was uh, being considered for a two-parter in Hawaii, Hawaii Five O. So I went, I went from one to the other to the other, um, and it, they were all CBS. So I mentioned that purposely because when MASH and the pilot, the, the, the project came up, CBS thought of me for Margaret Houlihan. They thought I was perfect for that role. So when I went to meet Gene Reynolds and Larry Gelbart, Burke Metcalf, now, I went with those credentials where CBS was saying, this is whom we feel will be terrific in the role. And I had also done a show at 20th Century Fox, a CBS show, but it was a, a, a very prominent um, film. It was with Glenn Ford and, you know, so forth. So on well-reviewed. So Fox also was aware of my presence. And so I kind of mm-hmm. went in, at the tail end of their casting, uh, and um, while they were contemplating hiring me, I had an offer from Universal for a movie, 
with Olivia de Havilland, which I thought was <laughs> over the moon. I could have just <laughs> stopped right there. I worshipped this woman. So um, my agent called Jean and Larry and said, we've had an offer with dates that conflict with your pilot. So uh, we're just telling you that if you had decided to go with her, she won't be available uh, unless you speak now. Speak now or forever hold your peace. And they said, I, we were just going to call you. We've decided to go with Loretta. And that's kind of the evolution of my, uh, my time in Los Angeles. Boy, so you're I, okay. I would say then your friend who invited you out from Vegas from Maine. That's a moment right there. That invitation really, really paid you're off. Taking, in the yeah, end, taking her up on that, absolutely, it was. Loretta, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to get back and chronologically where you've left us. We're going to take a quick one-minute commercial break. My name is Chris Epting. This is the moment with our very special guest this week, the wonderful Loretta Swit. We'll be back in just a minute. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com All around the outermost rim of the shield, he set the mighty stream of the river Oceanus, creating Achilles' shield in Homer's The Iliad, Book 18. Rachel Carson, in The Sea Around Us, said, All at last, return to the sea. To Oceanus, the ocean river, like the ever-flowing stream of time, the beginning and the end. Moyer's Environmental Dialogues with Dr. Rob Moyer offers lively dialogue and revealing narrative inquiry into how individuals are overcoming obstacles and creating a greener and blue planet Earth. Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 noon Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. Welcome back. I'm Chris Epting. This is The Moment and continuing our conversation with the wonderful Loretta Swit. Loretta, you were talking briefly before the break about how when you first went from New Jersey to New York, you know, your mom had a very strong feeling about it, lots of concerns. I was wondering, <laughs> once you, then you got us to Vegas where you're in MAME and then a friend invites you to, to LA and this is where your television career really takes off. I was curious how your mom, you know, how did she react to these kinds of moves and did she feel like there was going to be a future. Tell us about what, what that was like. 
initially, she uh, felt it was still very unwieldy, and it was she was just going to collapse after each job. Now, what are you going to do? You know, I mean, she was she was um, <laughs> she she was not hopeful. <laughs> she didn't think she didn't look at it as a career. It was from job to job, and who li- who lives that way? <laughs> well, I did. So, so um, my my story though uh, before. She totally accepted and understood that this was now my life. Uh, I was now on television, which made it a little easier, and it certainly it, it won my father over totally. He was just totally smitten with the whole idea of having his daughter on television, hmm. and um, I. Well, they were screwed. They were um, uh, they were watching the Hawaii Five O which was a mammoth part, two-parter, and it was very, very important, very big. And uh, my father was overwhelmed with my work. And they got on the phone, and <laughs> my father couldn't, he, he was so taken, he, could, he couldn't finish a sentence. He was sort of just, oh, oh, Lorette, you were just, I did, you were just, I'm, oh, I, you know, when you, when you did, but, uh, oh, my, and he was just, so overwhelmed, my mother grabs the phone and she says, what have they done to your eyebrows? <laughs> well, I, I, I laughed so hard because <laughs> the dichotomy of <laughs> my father was like thrilled. My mother was concerned with what they were doing to me. <laughs> what oh, have they done to your eyebrows? So, uh, but it was, it was a typical um, a description of of the difference between them. Uh, now, when when this became a regular thing, and certainly by Mash, uh, she was convinced that uh, she had given birth to a remarkable human being who was very talented. And I think a part of her actually believed that the talent came from her. <laughs> I mean, she was she was now the cause of how successful and talented I was. And I was very happy with that. In fact, when we talked about how she threw herself across the door, I said, Mother, how dramatic. Do you, this is where I get my talent from. Look how dramatic <laughs> that was. You know? So we had a wonderful um, meeting of the minds and, that's a, and that's really a beautiful arc. The, the the journey that she took with you that that really is a very special kind of appreciation and and you know finally uh, an acceptance of of the fact that when yes. you give birth to it to an artist it's a different journey as a parent you know and um, that's that's, right. that's very charming that she that she was was actually open minded enough too to, to be you know to be open to it and to accept it whereas your dad's mm-hmm. totally bought in mm-hmm. he's like right right there proud proud pop. Oh, Knocked out, yes. That's wonderful. Knocked out, yes. Loretta, before the break as well, you got us up until the uh, the casting uh, in MASH. And, I mean, obviously, you have mm. no idea. When something like that starts, there's no way to predict what kind of cultural force a show is going to become. I'm sure um, just like, you know, the cast of All in the Family, certain shows that made a difference, you don't really know what it's going to be like when it starts, right? What is it like when you first start on the show, though? Do you have any sense of at all that this thing is going to be as lasting and as important as it ended up being? Nobody, nobody in their wildest dreams could have foretold the phenomenon that MASH became. I mean, it's never been off the air. You have to understand, we went on the air 
um, for first run, we went on the air in 72. Right. And we went into syndication in the third season. So we were on the air first run. Then in the summer, we were on the air in reruns. And then all through this, we were already syndicated. So you could literally watch MASH three times a week if you wanted to at that point. And that has never changed. The syndication has never been interrupted. So we've literally been on the air uh, over 40 years or 45 years, whatever. I'm not good at that math, but... But if you, um, and it's been global, it was an yeah. instant success uh, going out to the English-speaking countries. Uh, that was an, an instant. Uh, we were not, as you probably can research, we were not an immediate success. No, in, no, not at all. Not at all. Uh, it took us. It took us the uh, reruns, uh, and uh, and that's not unusual either. It's like moving into a neighbor. Could, and it takes you a while for your neighbors to figure out who and what you are and if you're their, if you're their cuppa. And it took them till the reruns and then, then the, um, the praise and, and the kudos, and, uh, that, really, that really took off. Well, I was going to say, too, though, there's a subtlety to the show where I think, it, you know, that kind of sophisticated ensemble show, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer. It's smarter than, than a lot of other things on the air, you know, and I think to appreciate it, you know, again, you really had to study what was going on. It wasn't like a normal television show. You mean, really, I mean, in terms of thematically, well, it, what you, pardon? Yeah, that's true. Uh, initially, I thought uh, it was. Uh, a little closer to what a quote sitcom was supposed to be, because we had one of the greatest jokesters, yeah. comedians in the world, and as our commanding officer, his take on things was always from the comedic point of view. Even right. though Mac was a wonderful, serious actor, so we did start hitting on some of the gravity. In the first season, we did a, um, an episode called Sometimes You Hear the Bullet, mm-hmm. in which case um, Alan's, um, I guess, uh, lifelong friend or, or certainly a college friend or some, uh, is uh, killed. He's on the operating table, and Alan right. is faced, faced with this, and um, uh, McLean sends him out of, out of the OR. And uh, they have this conversation about how people die in the war. And um, uh, Alan is weeping openly. And McLean says, there are two rules that you have to, uh, that doctors have to uh, learn. One is that people die. And two, there's nothing doctors can do about that. And it was a very heavy, very wonderful, enlightening episode. Mm-hmm. The <laughs> I'm told I don't know this firsthand, but the 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 uh, production team told us that the the um, the network was not thrilled with this. They said, "Is this is this uh, going to be as <laughs> funny as the show is going to be?" You know, <laughs> and so we had a lot of ceilings to break through because um, we wanted. 
at, at uniformly, everybody wanted it to be more than just a lot of laughs because we were close to the front, and that's not funny. And right. our our underlying message always was we were crazy and funny because we had to be. We were so close to the insanity and madness of war, we had no option. We had to be crazy to get through it. Right. And that right. worked. That was the mo. That was the um, the process. And that's what what did it. That's what the audience clicked into. They got it. They saw that we weren't just being funny crazy to make them laugh we were being funny and crazy so that we wouldn't go insane right there's a difference and, and I think um, you too, in terms so, of your, the way your character is drawn. I mean, look, I mean, Jamie Farr notwithstanding, you're the only woman, you know, essentially, you know, uh, well, within this great male just ensemble. Just a moment. Just a moment. You want to? Just a moment. You want to fix what you just said? And <laughs> Jamie Farr is not a woman. No, no, no. But I mean, the character. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Say? <laughs> the, the the comedy of, of 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 his of his performance. I'm saying you were the essentially the the female character for all of his you know crazy mm. comedic insanity. But but I think your character was so complicated and and really I, I think it becomes one of the important characters uh, of that television generation. And look, we had there there were great essential female characters, whether we want to talk Mary Tyler Moore, yourself, that in an era where where women, you know, in terms of women's rights and things, you know, you, you're portraying somebody in the 1950s. So it's even more interesting, I think, the fact that you're strong and, and, and smart and really just brought so much to that that I think, um, you know, probably is a reflection of the times too, how women were coming into their own. And I think your character really helped usher in that period as well. I agree. <laughs> I agree. And it was um, uh, a bit of a battleground. I had to work very hard to, um, uh, to convince um, my producers and that, that, that this is what we, the take we had to have on her. You know, that's that interesting. I always wondered funny. if you steered that. That's funny you say that because I wondered if you personally got involved with that because that had to be a we challenge all, at that we were point. All, Chris, mm-hmm. every single member of that cast with the changes, etc., everybody, everybody was personally involved with the mm-hmm. development of, of their, their characters. We cared very deeply and they were like our alter egos. I mean, uh, everybody had input, and they used us effectively. They would mm-hmm. they knew things about us, um, the, 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 even trivial things. I was doing yoga. They wrote a thing, you know, uh, where I'm I'm doing my yoga positions, and Frank comes into the tent and whatever. <laughs> uh, however, they used it. Uh, Gary's a <laughs> wonderful musician. He was playing the drums. I was singing, and one thing they they took. Uh, uh, for example, they knew of my animal activism, mm-hmm. and uh, they had the camp dog get hit by a jeep. And I find out about this, and I have uh, essentially uh, a breakdown. And mm-hmm. um, Hawkeye comes to comfort me, and I say some very valuable things to to the audience. Uh, why am I crying over a dog? I'm surrounded by death. In, in in the OR every day. Why I'm paraphrasing. Why mm-hmm. am I crying over 
a dog. And what what she's saying there is um, she, many things, cares deeply about anything living, any living creature. And also, she's allowed, she's allowing herself to release her pain because of her feeling for the dog. Right. She is in the OR, in the OR, she's like pulled together, efficient, trying to help. And she's not allowed to, you know, blurt out. And so um, these are very um, sensitive, deep issues. And, and here we are in the middle of a, quote, sitcom. And we're, we were doing things like that, that were meaningful and, and, and enlightening. Um, you know, when, when a kid in 1972, if a, if a 9-, 10-year-old is watching Jamie, they're laughing at him dressing in, you know, Scarlett O'Hara and whatever. Uh, As as that child gets older, he starts to learn about how ugly war is, how ugly it is to be there in Korea. And he understands Jamie is trying to get out of the war by pretending to be crazy. So yeah. he's wearing women's clothes, and he'll do anything to get out of the army. So now you've added a different layer to that yep. child's perspective growing up. So when at the end of 11 years, he's now 21, right? Me and my math. And he's in college. He Maybe he's engaged. All I know is when he gets married... He and his wife sit the kid down, and they're watching MASH reruns together. Yeah. And that child now grows up with that indoctrination, and he, so many years later, has children. So the grandchildren are now yep. watching MASH. And that's, that's, that's the, um, the legacy, the, um, the mark, I think, of the classic of telling the truth and being honest the portrayals, the, I mean, our audience really thinks of us as people, as real yeah. people, not as, not as cardboard cutouts, making them laugh or entertaining them. And, um, you, um, you, you mentioned that, um, the finale is still, uh, holds a record of the mm-hmm. most watched television, um, in 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 the world, I guess it, whatever yeah. the, whoever is keeping store, <laughs> but um, <laughs> but the, the truth of the matter is um, that that time is over. There's no more. A, there does not exist a way to measure um, the same way that they did during that time, uh, the Nielsen's or however they um, accrued the answer. Uh, but we have now burst into hundreds and hundreds of channels and cable and so forth. So what, what was blue sky in that era now has become reality and you have no way in which to measure or judge what is most watched or never watched or whatever so, right. so that will continue. That will, that will be our title um, emeritus, if you will. Well, I, listen, I think it was, I'm not good at math either, but I believe it was about 110 million people originally that watched that finale. That's, you know, that's a number that's unfathomable today in terms of a watching or viewing uh, experience. Right. 
And and it wasn't just people watching a television show. These were gathering. These were emotional gatherings that came together where it was was a cathartic. You know what I mean? I mean, everybody remembers kind of where they were. I was in college. Everybody remembers where they were when they sat down for that. And there was sort of a national catharsis that took place with the exit of that show. I mean, uh, uh, probably international. International, of course. But I'm saying initially for the for the for the country for here, though I think you know mm-hmm. where it's closer to home. People remembered that because it was we we all looked at each other and thought about loss, love, all the themes that came out of the show. We were all of a sudden sort of forced to look at our own versions of it, right? And that's where it became more than a TV show. That's where I think it really cemented itself as a life experience that you knew was going to echo forever. It just was never going to get out of the nas- the international psyche. It just lives forever because of how well-crafted it was and, and how real and authentic it was to the human experience. It has become a slice of uh, Americana, uh, yeah. even if its history is television, it is uh, it has become a slice of American history, which is phenomenal. I mean, once we were given the Humanitas Award, it took on a different patina. Yeah. It yeah. was it was beyond a television comedy. It's, we it's, right. it's, not, it's, right. not, it's not about TV. It's it, about that. Uh, it just didn't qualify in that in that one spot. You know, it was more than that. Loretta, we're going to take one more break here and then come back and talk about the book and animals. If you've got a couple of extra minutes, if that's okay, um, if you would that's indulge fine. us. I would love that. I'm Chris Septing. This is the moment with our incredibly special guest, the wonderful Loretta Swit. We'll be back in just a minute. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit VoiceAmerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Voice America Network proudly presents the Catherine Zox Show for women, men, children, and families. Catherine magically combines her compassion, experience, and talent to bring listeners a show that's upbeat, informative, and yes, a little sassy. Tune in every Wednesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern to the Catherine Zox Show on the Voice America channel. News. 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 News.
hear me. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to The Moment with Chris Epting. If you have a question or comment about our show, please send an email to Chris at chrisepting.com. That's chris at chrisepting.com. Now, back to The Moment. Welcome back. I'm Chris Epting with my special guest today, Loretta Swart. Loretta, offline here, we were talking about you're, in, you're back in New York uh, native East mm-hmm. Coaster, where she belongs. Um, but you were just out mm-hmm. here in California recently to accept. Look, you've received a lot of accolades and awards over over the years, but something special happened recently, right? Oh, you bet it was special. Well, the, first of all, my friend Jamie Farr gave me the award. He present <laughs> he was the presenter, and that kind of double oh, the flavor. And uh, to see my bud and to be with him and. Um, um, yeah, I mean, we are a very close family, and it, it's called the Icon Award. It's given um, during the Oscars. Mm-hmm. Um, we are at a, um, a special event, uh, a sit-down dinner. We have a big screen, and we're watching the Oscars, and when they go to commercial, our show begins on stage, and we are uh, given these Icon Awards or a lifetime achievement or whatever. Um, Lainey Kazan was given an award. Michael Learned was given an award. Uh, Bernie Capel, I believe, got a lifetime achievement award. And um, and so so it's a kind of double ceremony when when the Oscars go go black and and go to commercial. We take over and do our show, and then they come back on and. And it goes through the night, but uh, at the same time, we're able to watch the Oscars and so forth. So it's really kind of wonderful. We have our own red carpet, the whole, you know, we have our own event. It's a beautiful award. It's a beautiful, heavy crystal award topped by a big star. And uh, um, I was thrilled. I was overwhelmed and thrilled. It's not an award you campaign for. You don't know what's going on behind your back and sure. you are notified that you are going to be getting this award. Uh, it's, uh, it's very like the uh, Sarah Siddons award uh, in Chicago. You, you don't, you don't know that you're even being considered for it. And well, congratulations. Get, uh, I mean, I was reading and, about it. I saw that your, uh, your group, the Sweetheart Animal Alliance was also, uh, got a donation from the event, which is amazing. And talk about that too, because I know people yes. look, People know about your love of animals, your care of animals, um, but it but it really is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's an integral part of your life. It's not just a little something you do. This is something you take really seriously. Uh, it's it's part of my lifestyle. Yeah, it's a part of what I do. Like having three square meals, or doing mash, or or doing a film, or mm-hmm. uh, going to a fundraiser and helping. Um, my my colleagues uh, by the Wee Farm Sanctuary. I'm I'm attached to a lot of wonderful folk who do their thing for animals. I'm vice president at Actors and Others for Animals, which is in California, California based, um, but it's national. And um, each of uh, the um, programs have a different thrust: domestic, exotic, 
wildlife, um, indigenous wildlife, uh, farm farm animals, etc. Et and so on. Domestic placement, rescue, rehab. Right now, my major project, and I brought my my centerfold hero, I call him, uh, Corporal Chris Van Etten, who served in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. He was wounded and sent home, and his battle buddy, his dog, Harley, was left behind. And when he was stateside, he spent um, a lot of energy and time trying to locate his dog and bring his dog back to him. And um, it took seven months, but he got him back and um, made me aware of the situation, which is trying to bring back the dogs in Afghanistan that have been left behind for one reason or another. Chris was wounded in a night action. Dogs do not come to a night actions. They can't see. They can't. Huh. Um, and so, and so uh, that's a situation where the dog was not there and Chris went home. Uh, and so the rejoining, the reuniting, I'm, in, I'm into bringing the dogs back and reuniting them. Uh, and if, if the... Um, Union cannot be, uh, the reunion cannot be established with the first handler. Um, then, then, um, we buy the dogs from the uh, corporations that trained them and sent them to Afghanistan. And we bring them here to, um, re-socialize them and re, reform them to be not battle dogs, but be, to be, um, assistant dogs, to be, um, uh, personal dogs uh, for vets who uh, have either retired or have been wounded and are are handicapped in some way, and so these these dogs become their 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 partners, their personal partners, and um, it, it's uh, we have uh, organizations that are training the teams. Uh, we have lists of vets who are waiting for dogs. And we we try to match them, and then make them a team, train them, and um, it's it's a it's a vast project. It has many elements, many levels, and it takes a lot of money. So, mm-hmm. so we just continue to try to fundraise. All the proceeds from my book that you keep referring to goes into a fund to to fund this this um, uh, project. Uh, and there are some wonderful projects already in place that I'm pairing with, uh, like Paws for Purple Heart, like mm-hmm. um, like uh, Justice for Ted's. Ted's is T E D D S. It stands for um, Technical Explosive Dog. Uh, it, so, so these are the dogs that are trained to walk out and and find landmines and and sniff around them and and get a course for their partners to walk so that they don't step on landmines so these these dogs are called Ted's explosive um, um the, the TED sure. um so so there so there are those those projects are already in place and are working and we're we're uh, allying ourselves. Uh, that's the word alliance in my my. Well, Lord, if people want to get involved uh, and donate, is the best way to do it through your website? Get, on, get online. Yes, get online. Go to the website. You can buy a book online at my website, 
or or order a painting from the book or a print from the book or whatever. Um, I do commissions. I've just um, the, almost finished with a commission that somebody uh, they send me pictures of their animal companions, and um, uh, we, um, we I I paint the the painting and. That's it, and their and their money for the painting goes into the fund. Um, we have some very big fundraisers coming up. One in Connecticut, where we're going to have uh, vintage uh, jeeps and vintage helicopters flying around, and and uh, it's going to be devoted to raising funds and getting sponsors for this big project. My my uh, friend now, Corporal uh, Van Etten, is um, a great spokesperson. He speaks from the heart and from his own experience, waiting seven months to be reunited with his battle buddy, his partner, and a war dog. And um, I did a painting of Harley and presented it to Chris. Well, we just did a Facebook interview in which he talks about what it was like to... Uh, to try to get the dog back and have him. He, he never left his side when he was recuperating. And now Chris is a new father and Harley is devoted to his little boy, Milo. And oh so uh, it continues. It continues. The website, by the way, is Swithart, S-W-I-T-H-E-A-R-T dot org. That's Loretta's site. And there are amazing photos of you with terrific animals here. And let's talk about your book, too, because, again, people may not be familiar with your, your prowess as a painter. And this goes back a long time in your life as well, right? Yes, it does. And once again, <laughs> my mother trying to understand this child. Oh, she must have loved this. Oh, <laughs> she would just couldn't understand somebody who would want to sit and paint pictures when she should be out playing jump rope or hopscotch or I don't know. It just, she didn't, she couldn't understand this child, you know, but I've been um, sketching and doodling and painting all my life. And I, I begged my mother to enter one of my drawings, uh, enter my drawing into a contest. And, um, and I won. So, um, but even that, that she thought it was like a one-time thing, a nothing fluke, to be course. taken seriously. So, um, but, but now it's, uh, so wonderful that I'm able to do something that I thoroughly enjoy. I, I thoroughly love painting and turn it around, uh, to make it work for my animal activism. And, uh, it's, uh, like coming full circle. Well, I think the fact that you're able, I mean, A, you're, you're a wonderful watercolor artist. You look at these images and the fact that you're able to marry up your love and protection of animals with, you know, this, this kind of activism uh, and talent, it's, it, artistically, it's just wonderful when things work out like this. And again, the, the, web's got, the website has a lot of information about how to get the book, how to take part, how to help these causes. But at the end of the day, you're just a, a very good watercolor artist. I mean, you look at these images and you bring these animals you do them such justice, you know, with these kinds of images and the cover in particular Thank is just uh, such a wonderfully yeah. emotional um, piece. That's there- a rescue. The dog, dog on the cover is um, a rescue dog uh, that I uh, I had a photograph of uh, by the we, the oldest shelter in Manhattan. I work hand in hand with them whenever I can. Last year they placed 
seven dogs for me and two cats. They're wonderful. They're there. Loretta, I have to tell you, they're, growing up in New York, gro- growing up in New York as a kid in the late 60s, early 70s, the bite-away commercials had such an effect on me. Um, they were the most dramatic, <laughs> compelling, um, really emotional commercials. I, I, I remember more than any others back then. And I remember getting involved when I lived back in New York myself of going and visiting and writing a little check here and there when I was just starting out, uh, you know, after college and stuff. But I'm, mm-hmm. I'm so glad you're involved with them because I remember as a kid, they just stole my heart with their spots and what they were doing back then. Good, good. We want your heart. <laughs> we want to steal your heart. Uh, well, they're a remarkable organization. I just, uh, Leslie Granger is the president and she's just out there helping and, and um, I, I, I love them. They're great people. Well, they're lucky to have you. And again, I encourage everyone to go to sweetheart.org. Loretta, we're um, somehow almost out of time. I think this is the fastest hour I've ever spent in my life. You're a wonderful rock and oh, no. <laughs> Again, the work you're Thank doing you on top so of it all, is, that, that's really, whenever an artist walks it like they talk it as you do, I think that's very important. And uh, the fact that you still go so strong with this, I think it means a lot to all of us. And I want to tell you too, personally, my son and I have hiked out to the MASH site a number of times. I don't know if you've been there since they turned it into sort of a, you know, a park uh, up there at the end of the trail. But there is something about Mm -hmm. that spot up there that really is special, that really is magical up in the mountains there above Malibu. To walk there and imagine what you you all did back then, it still hangs in the air. They have Um, different uh, placards and things to describe certain sites, and it really is special up there. Sure. Yeah, Chris, it is magical. I have been to Korea a few times. And the first time I went, I was doing a documentary uh, the first time, I believe. Um, and, Aren't uh, you the first cast the member who have gone War. back there? No. Actually, Jamie Farr was in the Army, was stationed in Korea. Oh, wow. A lot of people know don't that. know that. Um, um, uh, Alan, I believe, uh, did service. And I know Mike Farrell was a Marine. Or, no, is <laughs> There's no was. You're either right. a Marine or you weren't, you know. <laughs> and so, uh, but uh, that never uh, came out. Jamie absolutely was in Korea, so he was the one of us who really knew how difficult it was in Korea. The weather is, oh, well, I, I usually have given the statistics to people in interviews. Uh, the main killer in Korea during the uh, police action, was frostbite. And it's the coldest place in the world, uh, Korea is, in the winter. And the second was snakebite. In the summer, it's the hottest place Um, in in the planet. I'm talking about number one, cold, number one, hot. And the third was the police action. So the the three things that killed our boys uh, was... Um, frostbite, snakebite, and then and then the war. Well, so, Red, I, for the uh, documentary, for all you've done, miserable. thank you so much. We are out of time, and it's been an absolute pleasure and a privilege to talk with you for this hour. Loretta Swit, thank you. I hope we get a chance to talk again sometime. I hope so, too. God bless. You, too. Thank you for taking a moment out of your busy week to join us for The Moment. 
Be sure to join Chris Epting for another edition next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week. 